viewers of Imam Hussein TV and welcome back. The last show that we aired was in the holy month of Ramadan and I'm delighted to present again a big topic inshallah today that will be leading up to the holy month of Muharram now over a series of four to six weeks inshallah. Tonight's topic is titled Eternal Ethics and Moral Lessons. What does ethics mean? And moral lessons, what can we actually learn and apply them? The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Muhammad, and his Holy Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them all, left a message, a guidance, as it were, for the Muslim community. The famous citation of his hadith is, I was only sent to perfect character. What is the term character? How do we define it? Often, it's referred to as akhlaq and adab. Inshallah, tonight's show will be an introduction and we'll be seeking to discuss many components of akhlaq tonight and eternal ethics, inshallah. Inshallah, to actually bridge eternal ethics, we will be also discussing key concepts such as forgiveness, patience, charity, generosity, stinginess, anger, humility and how they link, as it were, to ethics. With me tonight, I'm delighted to have once again with me Dr. Sayyid Amar Naqshwani. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum as salam wa rahmatullah. Dr. Sayyid Amar uh, it's a pleasure once again to have you again. Alhamdulillah, I'm looking forward to this series. Uh, a big, big topic, inshallah, uh, for tonight as an introduction and also to discuss in the forthcoming weeks, inshallah, um, leading up to the holy month of Muharram. So with that in mind, um, Sayyidina, I just want to start off, as it were, by asking exactly the actual term, as it were, just to actually put the subject matter into context for the viewers. What is the term eternal ethics? Why is it so important? And what does eternal mean, as it were? Well, people had asked me the question that why would you choose to do a series on eternal ethics and moral lessons. And I remember Alama Sha'rani, a great scholar who died in 1973, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Who had a number of wonderful works, including, if I'm not mistaken, an analysis of um, Al-Kafi of um, Sheikh Al-Kulaini. He used to be very saddened by the fact that the Muslim community was more concerned with their outer appearance than their inner conduct. Right. Okay. They were more concerned with their outer appearance than being concerned with purifying their selves, their inner selves. Okay. And he would comment that there are people who are so concerned when there is a stain on their shirt mm -hmm. and will ask a hundred questions about the purity of that shirt. Can that shirt be worn in salah? What happens with that shirt in terms of how do we purify it? but would hardly ever ask questions about how they purify their heart. Yeah, yeah. Many were more concerned with their outer than their inner. inner. 
Yes. With the outward than the inward. Mm-hmm. With the zahir rather than the, the batin. Of course. And indeed, I found that even growing up in the Muslim community, there is an unbelievable preoccupation with the external of the members of the community rather than the internal. internal. When we would judge people as to their religiosity, and sadly, many of us are judgmental. And that will be one aspect of this series, looking at the ethical discussion of judgmentalism. Okay. You find that when we would judge somebody in terms of whether they were religious or not, pious or not, we would, for example, look at the length of their beard. Mm -hmm. You'd look at somebody who'd walk into the mosque in the Muslim community. And when you look at their beard, if they had a beard, then people would say, MashaAllah, this person's very pious. And if they did not have a beard, you would find people turning around and saying, Not so. This person is not very pious. Look at that person there. He's clean shaven. Yeah. Instead of caring as to whether their heart was a pure heart Mm -hmm. or not, or their heart was a soft heart or not. In the Muslim community, if we, for example, saw somebody with a rosary bead or a tasbih in their hands, (laughs) then we would say, wow, what a mu'min. Yes, yes. Focusing on the tangible. has the... Sibha in their hands and it's clicking away in the majlis. He may not even be saying anything. (laughs) He may have just got so used to having a Sibha in their hand that all he's really doing is he's just clicking away, clicking away, clicking away. But for us, the external was what defined the religious. No one cared as to whether that person had a heart that was full of envy or full of malice. Mm. All we cared about was that there was a sibha in their hand. Yes. So that when they were sitting down, we ticked a box of their religiosity. If we saw, for example, a lady covering coming to the mosque, and next to her, her friend who was not covering, then automatically, because of the external appearance, we would come to the conclusion that the one who is covering is the pious Pious one. one. And the one who is not covering must be the one far away from religion. Mm -hmm. Without recognizing that there could be a possibility that both of them are people of wonderful inner conduct. Yes. Yes. Forgiving, humble, dignified, patient. Therefore... When I saw all of this in the Muslim community, on the first level, it's not that we're denying that the outward is important. It is. Of course. Of course. The first thing that people are going to see is the outside. But sadly, we were able to use the outward to cover the faults of the inward. Inward. Meaning that I knew very well, as long as I could come to the mosque and the people could see me, outwardly looking like I was a person of a modest or a person of an ethical conduct, 
then I really didn't need to focus too much on my intention. Yes. No one can see your intention. No. The world of ethical and moral discussion is a wonderful world because it takes you to the inner dimensions and the unseen. Mm. The reason people may be so preoccupied with the outward and the fiqhi dimension is because as human beings we can relate more to the seen. Seen, absolutely. Absolutely. Psychology. Yes. It's like even when we go to ziyara, you may tell somebody that you can say salam to the imam from outside the haram, but they want something tangible. They want to see a dharih. They of want to course. hold the dharih. Yes. So we as human beings will very much focus on the outward. But what we haven't realized is that there has to be a balance of the outward and the inward. True. There's no point me outwardly mm-hmm. giving a great sum of charity if inwardly my intention was to show off. Yeah, yes. In the eyes of everybody, my donation to the mosque is outwardly amazing. is amazing. Is amazing. Yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, many times in the traditions you'll find, there is a focus on the heart of the human mm. being. Huge emphasis, yes. The heart, not just on the physical level, we're talking that metaphorical heart, which is the seat of the growth of the human yeah. being. Yeah. When I ask you, Muhammad, how are you today? You're going to reply back to me, not by talking about your physical appearance, but by your inner feelings yes, today. Yes, I'm well, alhamdulillah, etc. Well could refer to physical. Yeah but also to your balance in terms of your ethical, ethical. moral worldview at that moment. Yeah, yeah, I might be feeling very good or not. So what we have is that in the world of ethics and in the world of morality, there is a major focus on this in the lives of the prophets okay. and the lives of the Ahlul Bayt. Now on the second level, we are facing major moral dilemmas at the moment. Mm. And many people are seeking answers on these moral dilemmas. And they need to be addressed. And they need to be addressed. Yes. There are many people who are asking questions about biomedical ethical issues. End of life ethical Ethical. issues. Yes. Yes. Sexual ethical issues. Hmm. Legal stroke ethical issues. We are living at a time now where there are many questions related to our ethical constructs. By the same time, the beauty of the title Eternal Ethics Mm -hmm. was what was seen as ethical in 7th century Arabia. Right. Wasn't just for that period. period. In the world of ethics, different from the world of law. The world of law, there may be more scope for adaptability and interpretation. True. World of ethics. It's not time constrained. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a framework. Right. We believe in a moral ontology and a moral epistemology. I see. Not only are we concerned with right and wrong and good and bad, but we believe that they have an independent existence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Independent 
from human beings changing their minds every few minutes on different moral positions. So therefore, this is a challenging time for us in seeking to understand how to apply the ethics and the moral lessons established within our sources, established within our literature, in a society which is willing to now even deny any existence for morality mm. and more or give more preference towards socio-historical or socio-cultural or socio-biological lessons. Yes. There used to be a time when society, many of us would agree on what was seen as moral and what was seen as immoral. And now you have people who say, well, we can all make up our own morals. Yes. And so I think there's going to be a number of wonderful discussions. Inshallah. When we're looking at different ethical lessons, lessons on different aspects of the teachings of the Prophet and his holy household, peace be upon them. When we dissect forgiveness, humility, anger, patience, forbearance, dignity, sincerity, warmth, compassion, all of these will come in the, in the forthcoming progress. Inshallah, inshallah, if I may say, you know, you've very eloquently broken down um, eternal ethics. Um, and clearly, this was the mission statement of the Holy Prophet in order to, you know, bring about improvement in personal development character, as it were. But could you please elaborate on that? The, 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 Clear the, mission statement of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him and his family. And it's a shame that many people don't know the real Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon his family. Upon him. It's a shame, and I think the biggest trick that Satan ever pulled amongst making people think to steal the lines from usual suspects and Kaiser Sose, mm -hmm. amongst making people think that he doesn't exist. I think the other biggest trick that he pulled was making us live in a world now where it's Islam versus the West and the West versus Islam. Yes. So now when many people grow, they don't, will, in many cases, will not know the real world of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon his family, because Islam is now seen as the archaic, terrorist, fundamentalist, radical, mm -hmm. and the West is seen as intellectual, forward, progressive, True. free thought. Yes, yes. Now, the clearest mission statement you'll ever see of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family, is the famous line, Innama okay. right. Now, I've seen this translated in a number of places. Uh -huh. I've been sent to perfect the morals of mankind. Yes. But that's too simple. Okay, okay. Each word in the Arabic language has to be dissected in depth. Mm. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his family is not going to pick any word. Each one of them has a great meaning. Innama. Mm. Right. In Arabic grammar, I have been sent solely. Subhanallah. To be sent. Right. The mission. Okay. I have been sent solely with a mission. Which mission? To perfect, not just complete. Or improve, but to perfect. To perfect 
even when Islam was completed, you found akmaltu atmamtu. Okay. Akmaltu complete. Yeah, yes. But to perfect, I can complete a house. I perfect it with the interiors and the exteriors, with There's the something different. Yeah. House is complete. The builders have given it to me. Yes. But yes. I'm the, the one who now furnishes it. I'm the one who now paints it. I give it that last touch. It's a masterpiece. I have been sent solely. If a Muslim was to be asked, explain to me Muhammad's mission in one line. There are many non-Muslims who may ask this question. Explain to me his mission in one line. line. I have been sent solely right. to perfect the mission of the prophets who have come before me. SubhanAllah. Adam. Noah. Noah. Abraham. Jacob. The line of the Abrahamic prophets. All of them have come with a mission. And that mission was. Makarim al-Akhlaq. Now. Makarim al-Akhlaq. Is the most sublime morality. Mm. You know, sometimes you may have mahasan al-akhlaq. Someone okay. asked the question, why didn't he say, I've been sent to perfect. I've been sent with the sole mission to perfect the mission of the prophets who have come before me with the introduction of good morality. Mahasan yeah. al-akhlaq. Is when Muhammad does me a favor, then I'll do him a favor. Tit for tat. Right. Good akhlaq. Yeah. You lent me, for example, your car one day. Uh-huh. One day when you need a car, I'll give you mine. Yes. Inshallah, insurance, everything. Makarim al akhlaq is whether you lent me your car or you didn't, whenever you need mine, it's available. Highest level. Okay. It's not tit for tat. You've got to do me a favor. I've got to do. No. Right. Even if you don't do me a favor, know that I'm always ready to do you a favor. You know, even sometimes for weddings, yes. you'll find people, if they invited us, we invite them. Yes. But yes, if they yes. didn't invite us, we will not invite them. Yeah, sure. Then you've got makaram al-akhlaq. And that is what? Irrespective of whether they invited us. Let's show the best akhlaq and welcome them. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the mission statement of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, and what one may argue was the basis of his Islamic building. Right. You know, if we were to say the building of Islam was in a triangular shape. Yeah. The top of it. Point. And then you've got these two points, mm-hmm. okay? Let's say now law is at the top. Theology and morals are at the bottom. When he started his mission, morality was at the top. Maybe the reason the state of the Ummah, the Muslim world, is the way it is today, I was going to say is because this. law is at the front and morality has been put on the wayside. Yes, yes. Whereas we have to come back and realize mm. that if it wasn't for his morals at the beginning of his mission, where people knew this man as As-Sadiq and Al-Ameen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the beginning of the mission did not introduce Psalm. He did not introduce no. Hajj. 
No. He didn't introduce prayers. He did no, not introduce right. the pilgrimage. He did not introduce zakat. True. He did not introduce, for example, jihad. All of these which come much later. At the no. beginning, the akhlaq huwa alladhi ba'atha fil ummiyyin. Rasoolan minhum yatlu alayhim ayatihi wa yuzakkiyim. Tazkiyah. Tazkiyah, yeah. He's come to purify them. Mm-hmm. And so that was his mission. That I have come to ensure that the most sublime morals are instilled yes. in this nation. Those who took heed of it True. ended their life as men of great moral conduct. Ali, son of Abu Talib. Ammar bin Yasir. Hamza. Abu Dhar al-Ghafari. Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib. Salman al-Muhammadi, Naqdad ibn al-Aswad, Mus'ab bin Umar, Ja'far bin Abu Talib. Look at those names. Mountains. <laughs> Ahsant, wonderful word. These are the graduates from that mission. Yes, School of Ahlulbayt, No doubt. Okay, subhanAllah, thank you for that. And... Um, the Holy Quran also uh, testifies to what you wonderfully uh, put. Surah Qalam, if I'm not mistaken, verse 4, reads as follows in English, And most surely you, you isn't the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and most surely you conform yourself to sublime morality. Uh, it's a wonderful verse. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse of the Holy Quran. And, and who's saying it? You see, if I say, for example, Sadio Mane is a great football player, or I say Muhammad Salah is a great football player, yeah. or if I say Bobby Firmino is a great football player, mm-hmm. it it's doesn't really mean much. No. No. It's like, well, okay, when Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo look at them and say that these really are a great partnership of players. Mm-hmm. As Messi found out when we destroyed his team at Anfield. <laughs> when, when Lionel Messi says that, it makes a huge difference. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Because who's saying it? Who's saying that line? The Most High. Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing his prophet, the akhlaq is more fundamental mm-hmm. Than any other attribute. No doubt. No doubt. That this is a personality. We're going to see, inshallah, how the Quran forms a bedrock for us in terms of our moral worldview very shortly. Yes, yes, yes. As the uh, Holy Quran also mentions, you know, uh, the Holy Quran, in this there is absolutely no doubt. Sure. Um, we'll be going to a break in the next few minutes, but just before we go into a break, so now we'll try and squeeze a, another. Um, wonderful uh, point to this discussion as it were on eternal ethics um, on around the area of ilm al-akhlaq the science of ethics um, you know it's not really our own subject of study as it were um, but what does it exactly aim to provide us with and in addition to that point what could you say is a difference in its approach from that of a secular ethical discussion 
We might not. We might need to continue this after the break. Yes. But uh, if you can perhaps shed if light I on can this, just break it down. Try and break it down as quick as I can. Yeah, sure. You mentioned علم الأخلاق. Mm-hmm. We have in the Islamic seminary discussions on علم الكلام, theological. Yes, theology. The علم of Sharia and fiqh, for example, on jurisprudence. Uh, jurisprudence. We have, for example, discussions on mantiq, Logic. Mantiq, um, on hadith, yes. on the narrations, narrations that have been left behind for us. And we have a wonderful subject called علم الأخلاق. Sometimes people think, well, akhlaq is just this thing that your parents teach you. No, there is actually <laughs> a a science. science. And the major focus, unlike many other ideologies when they're looking at morality, in Islamic ethics and morality, we don't just look at the action, we look at the development of the act into a trait. I see. Is it... Moral to be someone who is very generous isn't that seen as being very the most highest of morals? Is when definitely. you say that, for example, someone is a generous person. Yes, alhamdulillah. Am I concerned with their act of generosity or with them developing the trait of generosity? Mm, good point. In علم الأخلاق, we're trying to understand not just the hal but also the malaka, meaning okay. not just that particular act that's taken place where you've witnessed somebody mm-hmm. who's done a moral act. Can they instill that moral act and develop it to being a moral trait? Wow. That's the first point. Deep. I may see Muhammad give 10,000 pounds at a charity function One in off. the mosque. Yeah. Everyone's looking at Muhammad saying, MashaAllah, Muhammad, MashaAllah. That doesn't mean Muhammad's generous. That could be an act of generosity. Yes. Ilm al-Akhlaq is looking for whether you can develop that into becoming a trait of generosity. That whenever people need Wonderful. a donation, it's become your trait to be generous. Hatam al-Ta'i did not once give away from himself. Right. It's because every time people needed something from him, he gave. So generosity, the act is different from generosity, the trait. Okay. Okay. Ilm al-Akhlaq, we're focusing on good acts, Mm -hmm. bad acts, how to acquire certain traits, how to avoid certain traits. The difference with the secular worldview, Mm -hmm. in contrast to the science of Akhlaq, is that the foundation of the act is a recognition of the importance of the soul alongside the body of the human being. Subhanallah. Today, the foundation of discussions on morality and ethics has thrown the soul away, has described it as illusory. Yes, 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 yes. For us, the foundation is the soul. Okay. From there, whoever knows themselves and understands themselves, will understand their Lord. Okay, subhanAllah. Uh, so now we're just going to go for a break. Viewers, uh, do join us in the next uh, few minutes. I do urge viewers of Imam Hussain TV to please uh, visit the website, Imam Hussain TV, and also donate generously if possible. Um, and also the live program is being transmitted on Roku, spelled R-O-K-U, and also Amazon Firestick. You will need to download the Imam Hussain TV app 
and inshallah you'll be able to view it alternatively there as well as YouTube TV. So uh, do join us again in the next two three minutes, inshallah. Assalamualaikum. <laughs>saying tv tonight's topic we are discussing eternal ethics and moral lessons key note the word is akhlaq so now assalamu alaikum welcome back and uh, just before the break we were um, talking about ilm al-akhlaq and you mentioned about the act as it were of generosity um, not being the same thing as being generous and also we were talking about the secular ethical discussion, as it were. So just very quickly, if we can just revisit that point that you into. Yes, because we, we find that even within our Islamic traditions, there's right. a major focus on the nafs um, and the purification of the nafs. Okay. And you find many times that there are these discussions that take place where in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَنَفْسٍ وَمَا سَوَّاهَا فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا That by the soul of the human being and he who perfected it, he has shown it the right way mm-hmm. and the wrong way, inspired it to see. Successful is the one who purifies himself. And truly the loser is the one who leaves it impure. Amazing, amazing. And so we are told that we have these faculties within us. And the Islamic ethical system is trying to guide these faculties, these instincts, these desires, which are at times fighting one another. Al-Qawwa al-Aqliya, the power of the intellect. Intellect, yes. Al-Qawwa al-Wahmiya, the power of imagination. the power of desire. Right. the power of anger. Okay. You don't really see this now in certain frameworks when discussing ethics and morality, that there is no more discussion on the power of the intellect, the power of imagination. Now the discussions are purely of the human being as a physical creation. Sure. Purely. Yes. And if they're going to talk about, for example, they'll mention mirror neurons are the backbone of empathy. (laughs) And they'll mention a certain part of the brain relates to this particular act and that Mm -hmm. particular act. Um, Really just looking at the human being purely biologically. There is no recognition that the foundation of the human being is the soul. Body is just a vehicle. As you mentioned earlier on in the show, you know, the the outward and the inward, as it were. Tangible and intangible. Correct. Yeah. And so what we have, therefore, is when I know that I've got I've got the power of the intellect, and this is the greatest gift that I've been given as a human being. Yes. Um, I was made God's representative on earth because of the fact 
that's when the angels could not name the names. It was Adam who was able to name. name. Absolutely. And so Bani Adam has been given this gift, the power of the intellect. However, at the same mm -hmm. time, in trying to be moral, we've got this power called Al-Qawwal Shahwiyya, the power of desires, choice. Those power of desires where, you know, I, I've got these desires to go and perform this act. I can see there's an act which is in front of me which is immoral. My body is pleading with me that just go and do this. Mm. Nobody is watching. Yes. Al-Qawwa Al-Aqliya is telling me but the Lord's watching. And so when my, the foundation is a recognition of the presence of the Lord in one's life. And we're going to come to a discussion shortly. Okay. Is that act immoral because God said it is? Okay. Okay. Or can I, as a human, ascertain that the act is immoral? Yes. Let's say yes. the red light district. Mm -hmm. Red light district. Did I need God to tell me that that red light district in Amsterdam is immoral to visit? Is immoral to visit? Did I need God to say that to me? There are many people of religion who keep on telling atheists that you can't be moral if you don't believe in God. Okay. I think that, no, on the contrary, you can be a person who ascertains what's moral and immoral. Mm -hmm. Inside. Whether you want to call it innately, okay. intuitively, right. rationally, okay. you can. Right. But the presence of the Lord helps in reminding us to observe a particular moral construct. I see. Okay. My issue maybe with atheism and morality is more in the, related to the world of whether... A lack of a belief in an objective moral ontology and independent ontology. How that allows you to then, you know, make sense of a moral issue in a meaningful way without statements either sounding too relative or just on the basis of socio-cultural mm -hmm. or socio-biological expressions at the time, that might, be, that might be a different area. Yeah. yeah. But if we were to focus on this area, Al-Quwa Shahwiya is telling me, go and commit, for example, an act of adultery. But Al-Quwa Al-Aqliya, the power of the intellect is telling me, but no. The inner voice, as it were. Inner voice, Ahsan. Yes. Then I'll have, for example, Al-Quwa Al-Ghadbiya. Al-Quwa Al-Ghadbiya, for example, that Quwa of anger. Anger. Yes. It's telling you, go kill that guy. Mm. How dare he speak to you like that. Quwa Al-Aqliya comes back. Now you see the bedrock. The bedrock is, I'm not just an accident of uh, certain atoms bouncing off one another. No. I'm not that. I'm not just some random lucky part of natural selection that emerged. 
No, there is a wonderful balance of soul and body. body. There are these constructs within me, ambition, vision. Mm-hmm. can't measure these physically. No, no, no. These highlight that there is a different aspect to me as a human being. Absolutely, absolutely. You're telling me that these greats who walked on this earth, such as Hussein bin Ali, Islam. was just a random result of a set of reactions at a certain point. A person with that dignity and that tolerance and that forgiving nature. Yes, yes. That person understood the bedrock of his existence. In turn, understanding the presence of a wonderful, loving God. Yes, yes. So these, we would say, would be the bedrock of the Islamic ethical system. Mm. Yeah. Subhanallah, subhanallah. Um, <clears throat> if we continue this uh, fascinating topic on ethics, um, if, the, if the soul is the foundation or the core element or makeup, as it were, of a human. How does one ascertain this from the actual word akhlaq? The word akhlaq, uh-huh. if you break it into two. Just for the viewers, yeah. Let's break the word akhlaq into two. Bismillah. If we break the word akhlaq into two, you get two words. Khalq, okay. khulq. Right. Araqis, uh-huh. sometimes, when they see somebody who may look a certain way or behave a certain way, they'll say, Shlon Khilqa. Right. Okay? They're focusing there on the outer. Khalq is when you're focusing on the outer dimensions of the human. Okay. Khulq is their inner dimension. I see. Khalq, the outer physical traits. Right. Khulq, you're talking of the spontaneous uh-huh. reactions of their soul depending on how well they have nourished and trained that soul. At that moment? At that moment. It doesn't come overnight having good akhlaq. Yeah. It doesn't come overnight. I, there is a discussion as to whether some people are born with better akhlaq, with okay. better morals. Okay. I must admit. Right. There is a discussion. I see. However... Having the best ethics and morals doesn't come overnight. It mm-hmm. requires practice. It requires a reassessment of oneself in words such as muraqaba. Okay. Where a person begins to, as if, audit their day. Mind, mindful, as it were, yes? Mindfulness, accent. Because yes. <laughs> you don't want to be in that state of ghafla, no, which is heedlessness. Okay, right. We want to be in that state which is a state where I am mindful. Mm -hmm. I'm truly awake and alive. Not my body is awake and alive. My soul is awake and alive. Therefore, when I'm looking at the word akhlaq, khalq is the outer dimension. Right. Khulq is what we're focusing on. Okay. That khulq and your, your akhlaq at that moment is really 
your training of the soul and the spontaneous reaction of the soul at that moment. Let me give you an example. One day in Iraq, yes. I was being driven to Imam Hussein TV, ironically. Right. I was being driven to Imam Hussein TV because I had a show. Okay. When I had the show at Imam Hussein TV, the driver who was driving me, someone cut him. Okay. I don't think Iraqis are too patient when they drive. Right. Most Arabs aren't. Someone cut him. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, he just lost it on him. I, at that moment, said to him, calm down, just relax. If I'm late, I'm late, but don't behave in this way. Mm -hmm. Now, at that moment, his khulq really emerged. Mm -hmm. The spontaneous reaction, which gives us an indicator of where his soul is. I see, I see. At that moment, right. was that anyone who gets in my way, you know, where are you? Outside, let's get out of the car, let's fight, let's punch. That's what they are as a right. human being. Don't look at the biceps and the triceps. Okay. Because when you're looking at the human being, he can have biceps, triceps, six pack, ten pack. Sometimes even if you have no pack, your grit and determination can defeat someone with an eight pack. Yeah. yeah. You as a human being, it's not just about the exterior. At the real test of the human being is how well they've trained the interior. Yeah. So therefore, akhlaq divided into two, khalq, outer appearance, khulq, inner. I see, alhamdulillah, thank you for that. Um, so you've mentioned this, the, the, the term as it were, khulq in Islamic literature uh, and how it relates to akhlaq. Um, just moving on now. You have, that's why, on the 10th of Muharram, uh -huh. Imam Al-Hussein alayhi yes, salam, when Ali Al-Akbar was being introduced to the opposition, three words were mentioned about his character. Khalq, khulq, mantiq. He is the closest to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa But look at the word in which Imam Al-Hussein used. The young man who has emerged to you is the closest person in his khalq, in his khulq, and in his mantiq to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his family. Khalq, because they used to say, Ali Akbar used to look like who? The Holy, the Holy Prophet. Prophet. Khulq, his disposition was like the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Mantiq, the logic that logic. he used in everything was similar to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his family. And so therefore, if you want to understand the perfect balance for a human being, it's when they are able to balance their khalq and khulq. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Powerful words there. Um, so I see, I mean, uh, you've um, carefully elaborated on khalq and khulq and how they relate to uh, akhlaq and the personality, the interior and the exterior, as it were. So. The soul is the foundation. We've established that. Um, but now, going to one of your earlier points, is it? But Islam is it something moral? Just because God or Allah Subhanahu wa Taala dictates it, right or wrong, line, etc. And you've touched on that. But if we go into that now and delve into those points now, what what is what's What's the cause, as it were, of morality, as it were, Islamically, or is it because God dictates it? Uh, I'll ask you. Yeah. Telling a lie is, is wrong. 
Because God said it? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask the viewers. Mm-hmm. Killing somebody is wrong because God said? Adultery is wrong because God said? Major debate in Islam and outside of Islam. And I wish more non-Muslims realized that even within Islam, some people sadly got the understanding of morality a bit wrong. In which okay. way? Okay. <clears throat> there are some Muslims who believed telling a lie is bad because God said it's bad. Yeah. I think if a person looks at the Ash'arite theology, okay. they will only come to the conclusion that there are certain moral acts which are viewed as being good because God said they were good, not because they were intrinsically, objectively good. Okay. And that there are certain acts like telling a lie. They say that telling a lie is bad. bad. Why? Because they say God said it. The school of Ahlul Bayt. Okay. The school where intellect and rationality is a source of law. Mm -hmm. And in discussions in jurisprudence and in theology, we talk of the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the rational ability to decipher. The difference between that which is, right which is good and that which is evil. Yeah. yeah. There is a difference between something which is full of hus, for example, and something which is qabih. Mm-hmm. And we good. as human beings are able to reach the conclusion. You take me anywhere in the world, we as humans are able to reach Absolutely. the conclusion. Yes. That telling the truth is good. And telling a lie is bad. In Usul al-Fiqh, there is a discussion of mustaqillat aqliya. And in the discussion on mustaqillat aqliya, there is this major discussion as to the role of the intellect in being able to decipher Allah's existence. There are ayahs in the Quran where Allah asks us, do you not reflect? Mm. If there were gods other than Allah or besides Allah, there would be chaos, there'd be corruption. What's Allah telling us? He's telling us that the aql that we have is a bedrock for us to be able to decipher the truth in this world. When Muslims tell atheists that an atheist needs God for them to be a good human being, not true. Not true. There are many atheists out there who are very good human good people. beings. Yes. All I ask them is where do these moral values come from? Yeah. Yes. How do they impose upon us any sort of obligation? You see, atheists may deny any sort of moral, moral objectivity, for example. But they... <laughs> then think that they can make sense of a moral issue in a meaningful way. And that's where we always have to have a major discussion on moral epistemology versus moral ontology. 
But in the school of Ahl al-Bayt, we believe to an extent right. that the human being is able rationally to come to moral conclusions. So then says, why then the need for God? There are certain dilemmas that emerge where I need guidance from the heavens. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Lying is bad. Yes. So it's never allowed. No. Never. I believe in Someone's put a shotgun on your head. Then you're compelled. From ISIS. Yes. In the north of Iraq. Or in Syria somewhere. They put a shotgun on your head. And they've said to you. Curse God. Or not curse God. Say you do not believe in God. Ammar bin Yasser was told by the Quraysh. Deny the God of Muhammad. And we'll let you free. And he denied God. He cried to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon his family, saying to him, The O Prophet of God, my heart believed, the Quran revealed. There are those who disbelieve, but they have belief in their hearts. Right. I ask you, Muhammad, could we, if we were just talking rationally, could we have come that there is a particular clause when it comes to lying that unless it's a life and death situation, that required a bit of guidance from the heavens? Yes, yes. I ask you, backbiting. Backbiting, is it wrong? Yes. All times? No. No. You said no. Rationally or no because you've heard a lecture or a discussion where sometimes a backbiting is allowed? Both. Both. There are many. If you were to tell them... Backbiting, is it bad? They'll say yes. At all times, yes. Yes. However, there are some who will turn around to you and they will say, but wait, when you're giving a reference for marriage, mm -hmm. it is obligatory on you if you have seen something in that person, say belief system, yes. which is wayward, which is controversial, which is, then you have to mention, mention it's riba, but it's yes. allowed. yes. Therefore, A, God is pivotal in understanding the whole aspect of that moral construct. Mm -hmm. And pivotal in saying that you've recognized that that's immoral. I'm now asking you to observe staying away from it. Because if there was no accountability, me and you would get up to absolute nonsense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Subhanallah. So now uh, the producers have given me the indication that we haven't got much time left. Sure. So we're going to try and rush, inshallah, some questions. Going back now to the point of morality, as it were, um, the atheists may claim that, you know, they, didn't, they don't need God to be moral. Okay. And with that in mind, an atheist may say, look, I don't need God to tell me. I've already observed what's happened in the past in history. You know, I can rationally come to my senses that I know what love's about. I know what, obviously, killing is bad. 
So I don't need God to tell me that. I know stealing is bad and so on and so forth. Going back just to quickly recap to the point you just mentioned. You've mentioned about at times God needs to give prescriptions as it were. What do you have anything further just to add to that point in terms of, you know, the atheist as it were? Well, an, an atheist has every right to reach their own conclusions. You know, I don't want to force religion down anyone's throat. If a person's come to a conclusion that they're atheist or they're deist or they're agnostic or they're a monotheist, mm -hmm. I can recognize that, you know, everybody is in their own struggle to understand the metaphysical and cosmological world. Yeah. I do sometimes think that we, we're too harsh on people who do not believe in God. Right. Um, because I think they've got a number of good points to make, especially the hypocrisy of the people of religion, mm. which can drive anyway, anyone away. Sure. You know, we've seen, you know, religion can produce good people. Religion absolutely. can produce absolutely yeah. awful people. Yes. We'll and I think any ideology can produce good. Any ideology can produce bad. I think when someone says that I can be moral because I have um, witnessed, you know, um, I've seen how people have lived. I've therefore realized that this act is beneficial to society. That's not a discussion on morality. You've just got a very good grasp of the history of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a discussion on morality. As I said, we ask the question when you're saying that this is morally good, this is morally bad, where do these moral values come, come from? from? This is fundamental. Objective morality, well, you know, if you want to discuss morality, I don't think you can discuss morality and the objectivity of morality. If you want to do it claiming that you can find everything in the natural sciences and in nature, I don't think you can... You can measure it in a test tube. Yes. And if you're going to tell me, well, rationally, I can reach all the conclusions, I'll even say to you, the problem is everyone's giving us different answers as to what's moral and what's immoral. <laughs> there are people who are now saying it's good to have 72 or 73 options of what gender you are. And their next door neighbor who equally believes in no God says it's absurd to say that there's, you know, 73 possible genders. There's an atheist who says that it's brilliant that we are teaching kids about sex at the age of five and their atheist neighbor saying it's abhorrent yeah, that yeah. we're teaching kids at the age of five. Good point. There are some who are coming and saying that, you know what, it's great to be able to have, you know, the freedom to have a red light district in a city. There are others who will turn around and say, well, that's disgraceful. So, True. you know, where do these moral values Absolutely. come from? How yeah. do they impose, you know, smoking cannabis is another any one. Source or any sort of obligation? Yes. Um, so yeah, so when we're, we're looking at these, uh, you know, we can go so much further. When you want to abolish something, are you abolishing that thing because you have reached the conclusion morally that that thing is something vile? Or is it because socio-culturally at the moment, at the moment it's yeah. vile? The trend. Yeah. And mm. even if you want to look at the homosexual community... Um, you know, the gay community 50 years ago, they were seen as being, you know, the worst people. Now it's seen as being cool mm. and it's seen as being non-problematic. So you know, where are these, you know, who's making up these? You know, how many people have we oppressed by just jumping from one opinion True. to another? True. So maybe, you know, the, the main issue, objective morality, I would say. Okay, and lead, uh, just continuing from that point, Sina, Um you know, atheists may claim that morality preceded monotheism, okay? 
and hence we don't need God. I mean, you've already touched onto that. Is there anything else we can actually add, as it were, to, to provide well, the, the, the problem is, yeah. let, let's make this clear. Yeah. I think the churches and the mosques and the synagogues left a lot of trauma in people's lives, which we will never, ever, ever be able to count or enumerate or even empathize and understand. There are many people who hate God because of Christianity and because of the church. There are many who hate God because of the mosques and because of Muslims. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we need to understand that some of the attacks against the monotheistic faiths are attacks because of personal traumas, not because we're having some philosophical no, discussion no, no. You know, on moral philosophy or moral ontology or moral epistemology. Someone who's been abused by a priest for years is going to hate the very thought of you even trying to discuss God. And I don't blame them in all yeah. honesty. I'm going to be very frank about sure. that. I don't blame them. Um, anyone who's been a victim of you know, child abuse and sexual abuse, I don't blame them for not believing in God. There are ways to reply back mm -hmm. as to why God shouldn't be blamed. And that requires its own show. Even God's most beloved ones saw their young ones executed in front of them, as we have in the plains of Karbala. Yeah. But, you know, the, the Imam doesn't at that moment deny God because his six-month-old baby's neck is gone. And if anyone saw oppression in one afternoon, we look at Imam Hussein alayhi salam. So, now, monotheism, what are we talking about? Islam, 1,400 years ago. Mm -hmm. Christianity, 2,000 years ago. Judaism, a couple thousand years ago. If we look at Zoroastrianism, Hinduism, we're looking at all of these religions. So they say that, look, there were already discussions on morality way before these religions. But we believe that God's representative on earth, Adam, is the first monotheist. Yes. We believe that he represents monotheism. So we believe already there were discussions on monotheism from the very moment that there were humans on the earth. And even, you know, even if you want to go back and you want to have a discussion that before Adam there were a sort of human creature on the earth, mm -hmm. God has told us that, you know, you use your rational intellect and you're able to uh, perceive that yes. the truth is good and telling a lie is bad. Yeah, uh, uh, in history, going back 100 to 200 years, and then also thousands of years back as well. So we've got big names, reputable names that are, are known globally. Freud, Aristotle, as it were. So now how do we perfect our morals considering that our instincts and desires are, desires are overwhelming us? They're raging inside. And as you mentioned, you know, there's a, possibly an inner battle. So how, how do we perfect our morals? As it were? And you've got these question. theorists as well. Yeah. I think it's a great question because I know that Aristotle pondered over this question. How do you build that, you know, that healthy society which is able to be a society full of moral and ethical conduct and traits mm -hmm. and principles? And Freud tried to look at it, and I think you know Dale Carnegie and others have tried to look at it. Yeah, yeah. And Aristotle and Socrates spoke about the fact that you know the more knowledge and wisdom you have, you know the stronger you'll be morally, more upright, ethically. 
I've seen people who could have written great papers on, on the negative effects of alcohol. Yes. They're pissed off their heads on a Friday night. You know, so True. knowledge doesn't necessarily, listen, some of the best universities in the world have some of the most drunk people in the first week at that university's opening. So is knowledge enough? I don't think so. Um, you know, in terms of looking at certain theorists and ideologues, Freud and others, you know, you can, you can in a way suppress sexual desires, but if you don't feel there's any accountability on anything that you're doing, I, I think that's the thing with my personal belief is that uh-huh. I, I do believe that there will be a day I don't believe that this is the end of the existence of the human being. There's a day of resurrection. There's a day of accountability. I think that concept of accountability for everything that you've done, I think helps us build a better world. Yes. Without accountability, I think people just feel I can get away with being unjust to anyone. And there's no purpose. And don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be just just because there's a day of accountability. I want to be just because I recognize that justice morally is something, is mm-hmm. the highest ethical trait you can have in Islam. Justice is the highest ethical trait. And we're going to be looking at that, inshallah. inshallah. Um, but like I said, I, I, I think that looking at the Quran, looking at the teachings of the religion of Islam, and the Ahlul Bayt in particular. Listen, Islam is full of nonsense. Let me make this clear. Okay. Islam is full of literature that has absolute nonsense. There are narrators of hadith who are known hypocrites. There are narrators of hadith who are cannibals. There were narrators of hadith who were drunkards. There were narrators of hadith who were the biggest fitna dissension mongers you'll ever come across. But would you, sorry. Would you... And the only reason I'm making this point is that within the religion, it's not just anywhere where you can build the greatest moral or ethical uh-huh. um, environment. Because you can't expect to get a narration from somebody who was a troublemaker mm-hmm. teaching you how to be moral. Yes. Um, and that's why I think focusing on the teachings of the religion, you're able to build a wonderful framework. But would you not say that they're interpretations, as it were, of Islam and not Islam? We can always use that. Right. You know, we use that to sometimes get away with attacks on Islam that you've got the wrong interpretation. Yeah. I don't think we need to make it too complicated. Fair enough. If, if, I, if people were to ask me, give me three pieces of literature where you could build a moral worldview. We put the Quran aside. The Quran, obviously, yes. is seen as the book of guidance for Muslims. Mm-hmm. I'd say, Nahjul Balagha. Sharif al-Radhi's compilation of Imam Ali's sermons. The path of eloquence. The path of eloquence. If someone uses and studies that book in depth, Risalat al-Huquq of Imam Zain al-Abideen. Yes, Treaty on Rights. Treaties on Rights. And Dua Makarim al-Akhlaq of Imam Zain al-Abideen. Inna ma bu'ithtu li utammim makarim al-Akhlaq. This dua is called what? Dua Makarim al-Akhlaq. Continuing the message of his grandfather, peace be upon his family. If the whole Muslim world today studied the spirituality, morality, and justice of Imam Ali and Nahjul Balagha, studied the right of God, the right of the self, the right of the stomach, the right of the private parts, the right of the 
ears, the right of the eyes, the right of your brother, the right of your sister, the right of your parents, the right of non-Muslims in the Rasalat al-Hukuq. And dua makarim al-akhlaq, which is an unbelievable moral code. Those three enough, I think that that would be the bedrock of a wonderful future morally. Okay. So and we'll see how we employ them in the forthcoming weeks, inshallah. inshallah. Viewers, we, unfortunately, we have run out of time. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Sayyid Amar Nakshwani. Dr. Sayyid Amar, I think uh, you've really um, captured the introduction to um, eternal ethics and moral lessons uh, superbly well today. And inshallah, we'll discuss this in uh, forthcoming weeks. But uh, from Dr. Sayyid Amar Nakshwani and myself, Muhammad Ali, inshallah, see you again next week, inshallah. Asalaamu Alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We encourage you to look at our audio library for more content on Quran, ethics, lifestyle and spirituality. Imam Hussain TV3, your gateway to Karbala.